What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Sunday, July 30th, last episode of the month of July. We've kind of been going crazy this July, or at least at the end of July here, with the end of NHL and NBA season and kind of a little bit golf in there and then starting up... uh, Football season here with a, with a big bang with the SEC episode that we did last episode and then the Big Ten episode that we have today. It's a little preview of what we got today. Big Ten, all episode long. Not going to hear about ACC or Pac-12 or Big 12 or anything like that. Again, we're going to figure out a way to kind of split those up or jam all of those into one episode. It's going to be tough to do so. But we're gonna we're gonna figure it out, and we're gonna get that episode out to you guys soon here coming up this week. But again, today's Big Ten. Gonna hear about the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. That's how we did the SEC episode. If you haven't listened to the SEC episode, go ahead and listen to our last episode. Again, started off season four of First Down Rundown here. This is episode two. So if you're just tuning in here, you haven't missed much, um, and you're in for, for for a good month of August here end of July and then and then great month of August with NFL coming up soon after we finish college football. So again, bunch of previews here, but we're, we've got a lot of good content flowing towards you guys. And we hope that you guys enjoy the, you know, our voices giving you that content. So uh, with that being said, I've, I've got Matt here. He's, I think he's playing Clash of Clans right now, so he needs to put down his phone, pick up the mic. Okay, Matt, I, how are you? I, I was not playing Clash of Clans. I was actually updating our sheet uh, such oh. that such that we can have a more efficient and uh, overall better accurate podcast. Aiden, thank you very much, although I was playing Clash of Clans like five minutes before that. Exactly. So whatever. Uh, it's back, baby. Clash of Clans is still going. It's like 11 years now, um, and I just kind of got back into it. So anyway... Because of me. Uh, well, yeah, and then Hayden stopped playing. So yeah. it's like, you know, what are we doing here? Uh, but yes, as as he mentioned, Big Ten is is the only topic for today, which, you know, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm about to listen to an hour of these guys talking about one conference in college football. Well, that's the point, right? Is that is that these are the, you know, that's that it's it's becoming such a, a, a bigger part of the overall landscape of sports in general. Uh, and then also, you know, off of that, kind of the stink the singular episodes or the reason why we're doing singular episodes for the SEC and the Big Ten specifically are because those are about to be kind of the two super conferences within college football, right? So we're kind of we're kind of previewing, you know, the two biggest conferences with each of, you know, one episode uh for each of them realistically because you know as the NCAA kind of fizzles away and the conferences take over and the players become employees, like all this stuff is going to happen probably within the next five years or so. Uh, It's college football is basically going to become its own semi pro league and the conferences are going to run it all. Right. I mean, you think about the NFL, like, you know, as, as, me and Hayden have grown up. It's always been the NFL with the AFC and the NFC, right? But prior to you know, kind of it, it becoming one big league, it was actually two separate leagues. It was the AFC and the NFC leagues, and they they each had their own championships and and uh, and everything like that. And then they combined, right? So similar to that, I think that's probably what's going to end up happening in college football. And we're kind of already seeing the you know the extent to which these conferences are leveraging their power over the others simply by the fact that Oklahoma and Texas, the two biggest names in the Big 12, the best teams in the Big 12 over the past, you know, 20 years here, uh, are both moving to the Big 10, or, or sorry, both moving to the SEC next year. Uh, and then UCLA and USC, the two biggest, well, not necessarily biggest, I guess. Um, well, two biggest names probably, but not necessarily the best teams overall. But still, you know, L.A., California, you know, how, how much bigger can you get than that? They're both moving to the Big Ten next year, right? And so that'll make the SEC and the Big Ten each 
that'll that'll basically bring them up to 16 teams each which of which i mean there's never been a conference that big right now there's going to be two of them uh not only while they already kind of have an advantage over everybody else in college football now but it's only getting bigger right and i think that's kind of the the difference that we want to at least kind of promote now that that way it's it's kind of not uh or i guess you know, meets the expectations as we get into the next coming years here. But um, but as we talk about the Big Ten today, it's going to be similar to the SEC in the sense that the SEC and the Big Ten and actually the MAC are the only three conferences left in college football that have two divisions within their own conference, and that the winner from each of those divisions plays the uh, you know play each other in the championship game for the conference. Right. So we talked about the SEC last week. And, and we went by, you know, we basically previewed all the teams in the SEC West first, and then we did the SEC East. Uh, we didn't end up picking a championship, Hayden, which we're going to do kind of now. Yeah. We, 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 like, we made this whole thing to be like, oh, we're going to preview conference and then do an entire, you know, culminating with our, our picks for, for what we think the conference championship is going to look like. And then we just didn't even do that. Uh, so we'll kind of, we'll quickly give our SEC picks uh, at the beginning of this episode. And then obviously we'll kind of go through the Big Ten and finish up with our predictions for the conference, uh, for the Big Ten conference as well. But, but right. But as you're listening to this, you're going to kind of be like, what, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, they're actually all in the Big Ten East. Um, and I actually made this I made this example in the last episode, in case you didn't catch that. The, for whatever reason, the way that the Big Ten is just kind of has separated and the powers that be in those conferences, Ohio State, Michigan, and, and Penn State are the three best teams by far in the Big Ten overall. But all three teams lie in the Big Ten East, okay? And so, as I said, you know, you kind of – there's only there's two divisions in the conference and, and each of the division winners are the teams that play each other in the conference. That's why you've seen the past couple of years, the past two years, respectively, Michigan, two years ago, Michigan beat Iowa in the conference championship in the big time conference championship, like by like 30 points. And then last year, Michigan beat Purdue in the conference championship by like 20 points. Right. And so you're like, well, what's happening? Why is there not? It's because they're still separated into into divisions. Now, next year, the SEC and the Big Ten both are going to a divisionless structure, which is going to be better for everybody, because then it's like li- literally the two best teams in the conference are going to play each other for the Big Ten for for the champion conference championship after the season is all said and done. Right. But this year, we're kind of still in that limbo period where we're having, you know, teams are transferring next year and it's, it's all kind of, you know, this is kind of the last year of, of kind of the, the, the prehistoric version of these conferences. Um, but yeah, but just so as you, as you're listening to it, we're, you know, we're going to kind of cover the big 10 East first, because that's where kind of the big, you know, the big three teams are. But as we go to the big 10 West, it's going to be kind of the, you know, the Wisconsin, Iowa's teams that, you know, have been okay over the past few years, but not necessarily up at the top of the big 10, just simply because that's just the way that the division structures have kind of, you know, leaned out over the years. Um, and then as we pick our conference championship, you're going to notice that, you know, we're only going to have, we're only going to be able to pick one team out of Iowa, Ohio state, um, Michigan and Penn state in order to kind of go to the big 10 conference championship and, and obviously, you know, have a chance to, to win that there. So, um, so that's again, a, a weird caveat, but, and it's only going to be for this year, but again, still, still lies in the discussion of to why, like, if we're going to spend an hour talking about the conference, we might as well kind of you know, preface it with this is how the structure is, at least for this year until uh, next year when kind of everything gets opened up for real. Yeah. So our picks for the SEC championship here, again, we're just going to go really quick here, give our pick for the championship and then our champion for the SEC overall. Now, the SEC is a lot more balanced between the Eastern and Western divisions right. than, than, than the Big Ten is. So it's, it's well, a little it, bit more fun. It kind of is. Yeah. It, it, it is. It's, the SEC West has always been a lot a lot tougher, especially yeah. in the last like 10 years, simply because you have basically Auburn, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, like 
it, the 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 quality of the worst teams in the SEC West are a lot better than the better than the worst teams of the SEC East, right? Because in the East you have, you know, Kentucky's good now, but they used to not be. You have Vanderbilt, um, you know, kind of, you know, those teams in there where you're not like it's not they're not super great but but as Hayden said it's it's still true especially in the in the last few years now that Georgia and Tennessee have kind of come on a lot to where you haven't really noticed that difference because it's like okay if, if Alabama's playing Georgia which has happened the last you know well I guess aside from last year the, the previous three or four times before that it was still the division winners were still playing each other but Georgia's in the east and and Bama's in the west right and so it's been basically Georgia which they're clearly the best team in the east so they are the best team in the SEC overall they've been able to play the second best team so it's almost worked out to where it's looked like the two best teams in the SEC are playing each other there still has been those divisions but as he mentioned it's definitely a lot more I guess equitable among kind of who's coming out of those divisions, and I mean even even when Florida was really great a couple of years ago, right? Um, but but right. So as as Hayden mentioned, I think that was kind of the, the the point there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So just to kind of get this started right away from the SEC West, I so last episode I, I messed up a little bit. We talked about Alabama first. We the way that we're doing it. If you haven't listened to SEC episode, the way that we're talking about teams from each division we're, we're talking about five teams from each division we did it for the sec and we're going to do it again today for the big 10 but the way that we're doing it is we're kind of ordering them in from best to worst so in the sec west for example we started with alabama then we went lsu then texas texas a&m auburn mississippi state so we kind of just did it in descending order of goodness of how well, good the team is yeah win totals right for yeah, how many wins too. you're projected to get as well as kind of your odds to win that division or, or you know that side of the conference but again a lot of them have the same ones and and like you know Alabama was 10 and a half LSU was nine and a half so it's like you have a separation there but I think their odds are almost almost very similar in terms of like who's projected to win that side of the conference right so I'm just gonna go ahead and pick the SEC West here and I said last episode that Alabama I expected them to still win the SEC West but then I corrected myself because I remember I saw LSU right under them, and I was like, wait, no, LSU. I said it last episode, they're shaping up a lot, to look a lot like the 2019 LSU team, which is considered one of the best college football teams ever. And so I think that LSU is going to win the SEC West. I don't think that – I think Alabama has too many question marks going into the season, and I just think that they're not going to be able to work over that, especially with LSU shaping up to be a powerhouse this year with Brian Kelly at the helm. So – I got LSU winning the SEC West, and then I've, of course, got Georgia winning the SEC East. I don't think that's really – there's not much to debate there. Georgia's going to – I mean, Georgia's going to have another great year. They're going to keep on having great years. As I said, with this NIL era just continuing to unfold, they're just going to keep on getting better and better, in my opinion. So, Georgia from the SEC East, that means I have Georgia and LSU in my conference championship. Now, I would love to see LSU win this, but – Matt made a good point last episode when we were talking about LSU's schedule being relatively easy. I mean, they're not they don't play a team except for Tennessee, I think, that has that has a projected win total of more than nine or something like that. More than more, seven. More than, Tennessee is Tennessee is nine. Yeah, Tennessee is but nine. But other than right? that, they don't have a single team that's yeah. projected more than seven wins. Right. And so, Georgia's obviously eleven and a half. Like they're it's like, are they gonna basically go undefeated or not? Yeah, exactly. So we said that LSU could very well have a chance of going 12 and 0 in the regular season which means that they would go they would definitely go to the SEC championship and then they would face up against most likely Georgia and i'm i'm going to sit here and i'm going to pick Georgia again to win the SEC to beat LSU in the, in the SEC championship and i think that's solely because LSU's not going to see the schedule that Georgia is going to see again Georgia doesn't really have that tough of, tough of a schedule either but 
I still think that LSU is going to be a little bit shocked when they when they go up against Georgia in this SEC championship, and also solely because Georgia's been there so many times over the past few years, and they've just they know what they need to do there. They're comfortable in that spot in the SEC championship, and so I think they're going to have just the experience to kind of push them through there to to win the SEC. I have the same teams as Hayden. Um, I mean, I, I we 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 kind of gave it away on the on the episode last time. We were kind of hyping up LSU a lot. Um, I, I basically the only two bets that I made in the SEC in terms of futures, you know, for the conference was I bet LSU over nine and a half wins, and then I bet Georgia to win the conference itself. Now, where I'm going to go with this is a little bit to, in terms of LSU schedule. The only two games that they're projected to lose or that they, you know, that will probably, you know, or might be a loss essentially is Florida State in their first game, uh, which that's going to be a top five matchup. Probably one of the best games all season, or at least, you know, one of the the most telling matchups in terms of like who's able to win that game. I think LSU's, I think they're favored by like two or three points, but if I had a say in it, I think they're probably going to blow out Florida State. And then LSU plays Bama, right? I think it's at Bama, and they've actually had success at Bama too. So it's one of those things where if you want, if you, you know, and that's kind of the reason I bet LSU over nine and a half wins instead of necessarily to win the conference or you know win the champ. I did, I did bet them to win the championship, but it was a long time ago, and the numbers a lot better than it was now. Um, and and realistically, that's the thing is that if LSU loses to Florida State and Alabama, and then they win the rest of the games, they're still going ten and two, right? Um, so and you only need to get to ten wins to to you know to kind of win your bet on the on the over nine and a half. I think, like I said, and like Hayden. Mentioned, they have a good chance to win both of those games and you know go twelve and zero, or maybe they do. You know, maybe, maybe they split that. They lose to Florida State, they beat Bama, or vice versa, and they lose. You know, one other game along the way, some you know crazy ending in Mississippi State or whatever. Uh, but but yeah, I, I definitely do project LSU to be amazing this year and really for the next long while. Uh, they have another quarterback, Grant Mus- Nussmeyer, who's behind Jaden Daniels for this year. Who's who? I think is going to even be even better than him. Like it's just it's 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 crazy how much they're reloading. And finally, I think he's going to there's going to be someone who's going to be able to uh, who's going to be able to challenge Georgia at least in the in the in the coming future. For this year, though, like I said, or kind of you know as Hayden proclaimed, I have the same two teams. I have LSU winning the West and, and Georgia winning the East. What I'm going to do though here, and to kind of I guess to be a little bit different, but also just kind of you know. I guess kind of follow through on my praise for and, and hype for LSU is I'm going to say that LSU wins the conference and which means that they're going to get to the SEC championship. They're going to play Georgia. And I'm going to say LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship. But remember, this happened two years ago. Yeah, two years ago when Georgia first beat Alabama in the national championship that that year, um, they faced off in the SEC championship. Remember, and and Alabama won, and that was Bryce Young, and you know everybody was like, oh yeah, Alabama's, you know, they're going to do it again, and and then they kind of got to the championship, the national championship game, and Georgia looked a lot better, right? And I think that's this is going to be another one of those scenarios where Georgia probably is probably going to finish the season undefeated. They're probably going to go twelve and zero in the regular season. They're going to make the college football playoff regardless of whether or not they win the SEC championship game. It's Self, right so I almost think that you know in terms of if you're that good and you know that you're expected to win the national championship to begin with why go all out for an SEC championship game and, and show all your stuff to your opponents when you know you're going to make the college football playoff anyway and you know that's really the goal is to win the championship overall right so that's the angle I'm going to take on it I'm going to say LSU beats Georgia in the national or in the SEC championship and then Georgia will probably take the national championship maybe over LSU because if LSU wins the SEC they'll they'll also make the playoff so we might have a, a similar situation or at least that's what I'm projecting similar situation to two years ago when Georgia and Alabama each uh, they faced off in the SEC championship and then also faced each other in the national championship which again just kind of shows how dominant the sec is and and why 
overall, we're spending an episode each on the SEC and the Big Ten because for each of the last two years as well, we've had you know two Big Ten teams make the college football playoff as well too. So uh, yeah, so didn't want to spend too much time on the SEC, but I think we ended up making that like 20 minutes worth. <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, so let's move on to the Big Ten. Okay. So Ohio State is first up in the Big Ten East. Again, we're going to go Big Ten East first because that's the better side of this conference. And whoopee for only having divisions for one more year of college football because, like Matt said, next year we will not have that at all. And we'll have UCLA and USC joining everybody else in the Big Ten. So it's just going to be a big party, as it will in the SEC as well. So, again, this is kind of the last year of, of having to you know get down to the nitty-gritty here. But Ohio State – up first in the Big Ten East. Basically, everything on this offense is bona fide perfect, except for the QB situation. So, obviously, we had C.J. Stroud go to the NFL this year. Hopefully, he does well there. Um, but now there's a QB battle in Ohio State or in Columbus between a guy named Kyle McCord and, Dev- and a guy named Devin Brown. I'm going to be honest. I didn't really do much research on these two guys, and I didn't know who they were beforehand because – I think C.J. Stroud played every single minute of Ohio State season last year, so we didn't really get to see these guys come in in any games. Maybe during you know towards the end of each or towards the end of games where they were up by a lot, but we didn't really get to see much in general of of how they matched up against actual competition. So Ohio State got a perfect offense again, pretty much, um, and they they also lost Paris John Paris Jones and Dewan Jones, uh, or sorry. Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones to the NFL this year. Both very, very good offensive linemen. They both went in the first round, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, yeah, two first-round offensive linemen they lost, but apparently they do have very good replacements for those guys, and so their offensive line is basically going to be one of the best in the country as well. So everything on offense, they have the best wide receiver room in the in the whole nation. They've got uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Amike Ibuka, and both of those guys have had – I mean, they both started last season and they've been behind guys like Chris Olave. Uh, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Dude from the Jets. Garrett Wilson. Yeah, Garrett Wilson, yeah. Um, I, sorry, I just go blank sometimes in this podcast. But, yeah, they, they've been backing up guys like Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave for the past couple of years. And then last year they got to start the whole season. And this season they get to start again. And so they've had a whole, whole entire season under their belt of playing college football against some of the best competition in the nation and they get to do it again. So again, best wide receiver room in the nation. Um, the, the only, the only question here wouldn't even be offensive line because again, they have replacements for those guys that went to the draft. It's really only going to be quarterback and under, under a guy like Ryan day, who is very much an offensive guy. He draws up the offense almost perfectly for his quarterback. It's going to be interesting to see how Ryan day kind of works through that QB situation that's the most uncertain part of their team so far um, in, you know, in this offseason. And then the last thing I have to say is our boy Jihad Carter. Shout out Jihad. He's, shout uh, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out to him because he – actually, we played with him in high school. Yeah. I, I threw the ball to this kid, okay? He, he, he's an awesome uh, football player. I mean, I got to see him play in high school, and he, he was just years ahead of almost every single player out there on the field. So – not surprising that he transferred from Syracuse to Ohio State this year, but he's going to be – I think he's going to be one of the starters there at strong safety. He's a, he's a big hitter, so I think he's going to start at strong safety uh, for Ohio State. And I think right now he's – I think he's a senior, but he still has another year of eligibility because of COVID. So it'll be interesting to see how he does this year. And then if he stays another year at Ohio State or 
you know, if he if he tries to get drafted after this season, it'll it'll be interesting. But he's going to get drafted either way. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's a, he's going to be a safety for Ohio State, so it's going to be really cool to see him play uh, play in there in the secondary. Yeah, yeah, super super cool story. At least kind of hitting home for for me and Hayden, someone to to come out of Richmond, Virginia. Pretty pretty cool. Um, as for Ohio State in general, Hayden Hayden hit on pretty much the the biggest things here. Um, the quarterback battle is is the biggest question. Obviously, you know you could basically go from Justin Fields to C.J. Stroud. You know, two of the best young quarterbacks and you know prospects at least. Um, you know, in the last you know ten to twenty years. So you have to think that you know. But here's the thing, right? Is is that these are both high recruits. Hayden mentioned Kyle McCord and, and Devin Brown. They're both high recruits. Justin Fields and, and, and CJ Stroud were the same way, right? And, and it just so happens that, like, we had the same conversation two years ago when CJ Stroud was coming in. Like, we knew that he was going to be the quarterback, but is it like it, the question was, you know, is he going to be at the level that Justin Fields played? And I, ironically, he actually probably played better in terms of, like, thrower of the football. Played better than Justin Fields, I think, at, at Ohio State. Now he also probably had better receivers, but um, but I, I think that's the that's the idea, and 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 it goes back to what Hayden said about how well Ryan Day coaches offense. He schemes everything open for these guys now, right? So like you think about it, like and and Hayden mentioned too, the wide receiver core is the best in the country. So if if you have you know one of the most brilliant offensive minds coaching this team and and telling the most skilled wide receiver room in the country you know exactly what to do on on every play and 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 the way that the offense is schemed there's going to be guys wide you know running wide open for the entire game and we saw that you know we we've seen this for the last four, you know 4 years ever since ever since Ryan Day took over right and so you kind of get to a point where you know does it really matter how much or who specifically the quarterback is yes they have to be skilled they have to be able to throw but i mean you know that's that's one of the and i think that's probably one of the big questions coming into CJ Stroud's uh you know rookie year in Houston is like He's a very skilled. He's you know he, he's he's great at, at playing the position, but it's like, what's it going to be like when he has to figure things out on his own, right? To a, to a certain extent, obviously, I'm not saying that you know he does he doesn't know how to play football. Obviously, quarterback is is what it is. But to a certain extent, in this Ohio State offense, everything is kind of is kind of handed to you on a silver platter in terms of like this is where your reads are going to be. This is the guy who's going to be running wide open, and when you have the best receivers in the country all doing that for you at the same time. And we know that defensive backs in college are, are not, you know, are also not, you know, kind of as, as coached up or at least at, at the prime of their abilities as, you know, as when they get to the NFL, it just makes everything so much more easy, you know, on offense. So I think it's almost like this Kyle Shanahan type of deal where, Kyle Shanahan's office is very easy to run because it's all based on the run and the quarterback really just has to manage the game and just throw to the receivers whenever there is a pass of which there's not too many except it's the opposite with Ohio State the only problem or the only you know real question is like can you throw the ball downfield because if you can you can hit these wide receivers you know when they're running in stride and, and it's not going to be an issue and I think that right again these these guys are, are high high tier prospects they're not just going to go out there and not be able to throw the ball so I think it's going to be fine for whoever's starting at quarterback um, the question I think for me is going to be on the defensive side they, they you know they got some transfers but they've just been they just haven't been that great the last two years and and I think that you know they they got Jeff Knowles a guy from from Oklahoma State who's been you know a great a great defensive coordinator uh, you know in Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy for the better part of probably 10 years now they got him a couple years ago I think last year was his first season and there was a lot to be desired now apparently his schemes are very complicated and it's kind of one of those things that you have to you kind of have to bring in guys that are ready to play in that style of defense um 
it's not something that you can kind of just plug and play right away, you know, your first season that you're in there. So I think we, we saw some growing pains a little bit last year, but, but you know, the more that he's there, the more that he's able to get to know the guys and, and, and you know, kind of implement his scheme, I think it's the more success that we're going to see. Uh, but, but still, I, they're not getting those, I think, those elite – elite you know top of the elite recruits that we've seen especially along the defensive line you know guys like chase young joey or you know well both of the bosas um so you know if the offense has okay the, the one question is quarterback you know they're probably still gonna be able to score a lot you know the question that that ohio state faces in terms of like because again their expectations are you you get to the college football playoff that's pretty much a given or at least a, it's hoped to be a given winning the national championship is almost an expectation at ohio state and it's like when you have this many questions who's going to be the quarterback is the defense going to be able to actually stop people which they weren't last year right it that's kind of when things a little bit you know kind of build up and you're like all right well those are some questions. Okay, fine, but you you also play in a really tough Big Ten. Your side of the division, they have to play Penn State and Michigan. They're going at Michigan this year, right? So it's like those are not gimme games, and it's not guaranteed that they're going to make the college football playoff. The last thing I'll end on here, though, is a positive note, right? So I've kind of been talking a little bit negatively. I, I am, and we'll kind of get to it in terms of you know the, the bets that I've made for this conference. I am a little bit down on Ohio State for this year, just because it's 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 tough to project what they're going to be. But I will say, people are calling for Ryan Day's job, okay? And they're saying like, all right, if he if he, you know if he doesn't it doesn't beat Michigan this year, he's going to be fired. The guy is forty five and six as the coach of Ohio State. Okay, he's doing just fine at his job. He's gotten them to two of the last three college football playoffs. Guys, last year, Ohio State missed a 48-yard field goal as time expired on the clock in the college football playoff game against Georgia, of which they were up at halftime. They were winning most of that game. The clock strikes zero. The the ball is dropping on New Year's Eve at the same time. Remember that? It's like the there was yeah. like those those videos of like the the field or the the ball like the field goal like coming down and the ball dropping at the same time. Yeah. If that field goal had been made, Ohio State wins that game. They upset Georgia, you know, the this this you know, legendary ultimate force at this point. Um, they upset Georgia. They go into the national championship game where they play TCU. And if Georgia beats TCU 65 to seven, Ohio state might not win that big, but it's probably going to be something similar to that. Right? So we are a 48 yard, a, a missed 48 yard field goal away from basically saying that Ohio state is completely back. Ryan day is the perfect guy for the job and they've just won a national championship. So the, the, again, and sliding doors is always kind of the, the, a theme that you can look at in, in sports in general, just to say like all the hype and all the, all the drama and all the haters that are coming out here and saying stuff like it's, it's, it's so, you know, if one thing changes, if one spin happens, or if the ball bounces one wrong way, um, you know, the, the story could be very different. So I think that, you know, for as much as people are saying Ryan day can't coach or, you know, the quarterback situation is situation is really bad. You know, I, I think that they, they still have a great team. Ryan day is a great coach. Um, but but again, I think that, you know, for where they're at right now and, and kind of their situation coming into the year, it it might be a tougher year, especially when it kind of comes to, you know, I, mean, I think the question is, are they gonna, even going to make the college football playoff? I think I think we'll have to see. Um, obviously, depends on kind of who we have coming out of this side of the division. But just in terms of a preview, I think that kind of gives a good general scope of like, you know, what the offense is going to look like, what the defense is going to look like. But I mean, you kind of have to remind yourself, like, this team was great last year. Yes, they lose C.J. Stroud, but again, the, the, if it's proven among the past two quarterbacks that have been there that Ryan Day's system works, I think any quarterback can really succeed in this offense. Yes, one one team that doesn't really have struggles or doesn't typically have struggles with edge rushers, as Matt was alluding to with, with Ohio State, not really having 
those stars on that defensive line or that, you know, kind of that front seven that Ohio State has had in the past. One team that doesn't struggle with that and has that's honestly been part of their a huge part of their success in the past is Michigan. And uh, this year, their edge every single edge rusher from last year is coming back. So in twenty twenty one, so two seasons ago, they had Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo at the helm in on that defensive front, and both of those guys were coming you know coming off each edge, and it, it was so hard to stop them. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson was a first round pick. And he was also a Heisman Trophy finalist. And then Dave Odejabo, I, I think, was somewhere in the mid-rounds in the NFL draft or maybe the second round or something like that. So both of those guys got drafted, and they were they were a huge part of Michigan's success a couple years ago. Last year, it was a big question about who was going to come off the edge for Michigan. There was about four there, – there were kind of four guys in the rotation, um, but I think that senior Mike Morris and then Braden McGregor were the two main guys. If – you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong if you know this. But, uh, but yeah, there, there was a senior, Mike Morris, who had seven and a half sacks on the year last year. Um, and then I think Braden McGregor kind of, you know, was, was the other main guy. But they've also got these two guys named Jalen Harrell and Derek Moore. All four of these guys are returning for this season. And so, obviously, when you've got returning starters from last year, it's, it's going to prove to be very good, in, especially in college football where there's so much turnaround and so many true freshmen who – are good as as we've talked about in um, Harold Perkins for LSU last episode. But guys that are that guys that have experience, guys that have just gotten bigger and faster from last season, they're I mean it, you can't really go wrong with that. So they've got some very sturdy firepower on that defensive line again, which again is, is one of Michigan's strengths. It's been kind of you know their their style of football. Also, the other thing that's that's very much their style of football is the run game, and they've kept both running backs. Blake Corum and Donovan Donovan Edwards this season. Blake Corum last year, like dude, last year he got. I'm pretty sure he got hurt towards the end of the season, and he still ended with over 1,400 yards rushing and over 20 touchdowns, or maybe it was t- exactly yeah. 20 touchdowns. Heisman candidate too. Yes, and he he got hurt, and it's like I can't even believe what he's going to do this season. I mean, he's the best. He's the best running back in the Big Ten, in my opinion. You could argue that maybe you know Travion Henderson for Ohio State or one of those running backs for Ohio State is better, but those guys get hurt a lot more than Blake Corum does. It was it was sad to see Blake Corum go. I think he had some kind of like meniscus injury in towards the end of the season last season, and so that's kind of what what brought Michigan down, especially losing against uh, TCU. I don't think they had Blake Blake Corum in that game, or if they did, he uh, he he didn't play a lot because he was kind of limited. And so yeah, so they lost against TCU. I think that was a huge part of why. But they have a ground-and-pound offense that just does not let up at all. And you don't see much of that in college football anymore. And Michigan does it the best out of, out of anybody. You know, you see a lot of air raid offenses, a lot of spread, you know, kind of throwing the ball a lot, which is what football is turning into in general. But Michigan has stuck to their guns and has just built up the offensive line and built up their running backs in Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards is also a, gr- a great running back. I think he had – something like 800 yards last season and seven touchdowns or something like that. So he wasn't far behind um, Blake Corum. Blake Corum's just a feature back in that offense, and then whenever he gets tired, Donovan Edwards is basically just a 1B back, and he, he comes in and, and dominates too. Their, I think their offensive line is is going to be pretty good too. I think they, they've gotten a couple transfer guys. I think they lost a couple, a couple offensive linemen to the draft or just graduating or whatever like that. Um, and but I think that they've, they've added a couple guys through the transfer class. They have one of the best 
transfer classes on both sides of the ball, so not just offense, not just defense. Both ends of the ball, their transfer class runs deep. So look for that to be, you know, a, a very uh, a very big difference maker for Michigan. I'll probably let Matt talk about their their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. I didn't mention him at all, him at all just because I, I think the running game is what sets them apart from literally every other team in college football, which I love. So, you know, that ground and pound game, love to watch it, and I'm, I'm excited to see it dominate again this season. Yeah, and, and to, I mean, Hayden kind of explained everything, I think, pretty accurately um this is a team that that they kind of had their breakout season two years ago right where uh you know they kind of they won the big 10 they beat ohio state uh and they get to the college football playoff and then obviously you know they lose to georgia but they were like 10 point underdogs in that game anyway and georgia goes on to win the national championship right so you're kind of like all right well you know that's that's fine um last year though they're they're kind of, you know, dealing with a, a, a quarter, you know, questions at quarterback, you know, who's going to be the starter. Obviously, you know, you, you have the good running backs, but you lost and had Hayden mentioned, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo off of that team. And so people are kind of thinking, all right, Michigan's going to be all right this year, you know, kind of a rebuilding year, right? Uh, no, <laughs> they go, uh, they go undefeated in the, uh, throughout the entire regular season. They win the big 10 championship. They beat Purdue soundly. And then the TCU game, man, just, I, I think, it, it was it was just such a different style of team than than Michigan had seen all year, and they never even got out to a lead in that game. They didn't lead for a single second. TCU was just on it. Uh, JJ McCarthy had two, I think, two pick sixes in the national championship game. He also had like that fumble in the one yard line type of deal. So there were some again, the ball bounces the wrong way, and 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 Michigan could win that or ball bounces the other way. Michigan could win that game by by two touchdowns, right? So uh, I think it was it was an underwhelming end to the season for Michigan, especially one that was a surprise to them. But I think that's almost a good thing right is the fact that like they weren't expected to do as well as they did in the previous season but they actually did better right than uh, th- than the previous season you think about the fact that they've beaten Ohio State two years in a row now which hadn't happened I think since like 30 years ago or something and, and Ohio State had had the better of Michigan for the last you know ever since you know 2000 right was I think the last time that, that the Michigan was like consistently beating uh Ohio State so it's been a good 20 years now since that rivalry's even been competitive right much less Michigan kind of taking over now and I think that's to, to speak to what Hayden said about kind of them focusing on the ground and pound of, of this the style of play and that's what Jim Harbaugh said he's basically like you know Ohio State's basically taken over the conference the one way to beat them is just is is to not let the offense have the ball, aka spend as much clock time as you can, you know, time per or uh, you know, time of possession by running the ball on offense and and you know and have great interior linebackers to get after the quarterback when when you have to on the defensive side of the ball, right? And I think that strategy has actually worked a lot. Um, speaking to the quarterback, JJ McCarthy, Hayden mentioned. Uh, He's kind of he's a very volatile player, as we saw in the national championship. He made some great plays. Um, he was kind of the star of the show against Ohio State in their win, uh, where I think he had over 300 yards and, and, a, and a few touchdowns. Um, but but right, so we saw the great in you know in that game leading them to the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten championship and, and an undefeated season. And then we saw kind of the the bad, obviously against TCU, where a couple slip ups and and again this is a Big 12 defense in the TCU where you're, it's not it's nothing like they had been facing in the Big Ten all season. The Big Ten defenses are much better than than. Uh, you know than the Big Twelve and TCU. Now TCU did have a good defense, right? But but I think still we saw kind of the the slip ups in terms of which where it really shouldn't have been in that uh, in that national championship semifinal. So overall, I think that you know the more experience he has, and which he got a full you know last year was actually his full season, starting an entire season. He's coming back again, right? And I think you, like nothing can replace experience. And I think that you know 
the, the struggles that he had, he'll be able to work on those. He'll be able to limit the turnovers. And I think that, you know, they have a great offensive staff there who's going to work on kind of, you know, maturing him into a quarterback that that can lead this team to potentially a national championship. I mean, that's that's really the goal, right? You've you beaten Ohio State the last two years. You've won the Big Ten championship the last two years. You've gotten to the college football playoff and you still haven't won a game there. Right. So I think that's kind of the that's the hump they need to get over and what their goals are for this season. But overall, man, Michigan is back. And, and again, like I said, it's, it's almost like what I said last last week or last podcast about Georgia, where they won the national championship in a rebuilding year. I think Michigan went 13 and 0 in a rebuilding year last year and had a, a weird slip up game against TCU where this year they bring most of that team back and get in a bunch of good transfers like Hayden mentioned too right so I think this team is this Michigan team is gonna be better than the Michigan team last year obviously dominated by by those two running backs um Hayden mentioned too I'm not even gonna you know speak on that much because I think he did a great job kind of exploring how 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 great this running game can be when you have a two-headed monster like that Donovan Edwards also the kind of the second running back in that uh in that tier he he was playing with a club on his hand for like the last four games too and he was still ripping off like 80 yard touchdowns so yeah th- this team is is ready to compete this year and and definitely looking to kind of supplant themselves as potentially the best and, and kind of the big powerhouse in the big 10 for this year all right moving on to our third team in the big east big 10 east and this is kind of the the last uh top tier team i guess you know they, they're, they're kind of one tier below the ohio state and michigan's of the world but they're still usually a, a a competitor in the Big Ten, and they have big games against against big teams like Ohio State and Michigan every year. So uh, this this team is Penn State, if you haven't guessed already. My notes on them is that they have a veteran O-line. I think four out of five of their starters last year are coming back for this year. they got two sophomore running backs that could make up one of the best running backs rooms in the country. Uh, they've got Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen. I hadn't heard of any either of those guys either before – uh, before doing research for this podcast. So, again, I don't know their background, but I, I assume that, that both of them were with Penn State last year and they're coming back. So, again, you kind of got one-year veterans there. They're both sophomores, so they're gonna, they've are gonna they still got this year and next year to play before they even have a decision to go to the draft or anything like that. So, Penn State's going to have it's, – it's safe to say that Penn State's going to have a very good run game both this year and, assumably, next year as well. On the defensive side of the ball, they've it's full of starters. I think they're bringing back eight of eleven starters from last year, which is a, a great turnaround for, um, especially for college football. And they're all straight up dogs. The only concern on this defensive side of the ball is D tackle. I think that I read that their heaviest defensive tackle, which if you don't know what that means in football terms, it's it's the guy that's playing on the inside. I, th- I think they play a four a four man front, or maybe. They might switch between a four- and a three-man front, but um, they didn't say anything about nose tackle, but their heaviest defensive tackle, the guy that plays on the inside part of the defensive line, is, I think, 256 pounds or something like that, which is very, very light for a defensive tackle. I mean, that's that's usually what you're looking for your you know your bigger defensive ends or edge rushers to, to be, is, is up in that 250 range. So it's a little bit concerning for them on the, on the defensive side of the ball there. The... Other opposing teams are basically just going to be able to run on them a lot more than than you'd hope. But uh, but one thing that will kind of save their running defense is their linebacker position. I think that their linebacker position is probably the highlight of their defense. And so, again, that part of the front seven, that kind of second tier of the front seven, will be able to kind of make up for that defensive line that's lacking a little bit in terms of, of size. But, um, yeah, I mean, you had Micah, Micah Parsons a couple years ago come out of Penn State 
and apparently their linebacker room is just is just very elite again this year. So um, yeah, so look for their linebackers to to make a difference, and then their corners I think are coming back. I think they ha- they have one new guy I think in the secondary there or in at the cornerback position, and then I don't really know about their safeties. I didn't read much about them, but it seems like there's not much to worry about on the defensive side of the ball here for Penn State. And again, their running game is going to be what helps them. Um, get through a, a guy like Sean Clifford leaving. He's, he was the quarterback for them for, it seemed like, 35 years yeah. there for, for, uh, for, for a quick minute there. So, yeah, so they've, they've got a little bit of a quarterback change, but I think that their running game will kind of help. Uh, I don't even know who's coming in to play for them. But Drew Alar. Yes, so Matt can talk about that. But I think that they'll running back room will help um, kind of, you know, get him comfortable and get him acclimated in that offense there. Yeah, it's it's he was there last year. He was a, he was a freshman, I think – I want to say five. I think he might have been a four-star recruit last year um, and, and kind of was – I don't know if they redshirted him or not, but, I mean, whatever, either way. I think that they probably did because they knew Sean Clifford was going to was gonna start again. Uh, he wasn't able to beat out Sean Clifford, but they didn't really want that to even be a, a, a consideration, I guess. They kind of wanted him to have a year under his belt of just kind of, you know, being there, watching kind of how things are done, similar to what a lot of NFL teams do uh, with your, your more experienced quarterbacks. Being able to start and, and your and your you know your younger quarterbacks being able to kind of take a take a look from the bench, um, so I think he's more skilled than Sean Clifford. Drew Alar is. I it's it's obviously right. It's it's it takes a little bit to kind of become a comfortable with yourself in, in order to you know become a, a starting Big Ten quarterback uh, for one of the best teams in the Big Ten, but. I think that, you know, his ups and downs are probably going to be more volatile than Sean Clifford, but I think the ups are going to be better. And I think that's probably what a team like Penn State needs where the, the overall, the, just the, the, the point of Penn State or just the, 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 the existence of Penn State is dependent upon the fact that, like, they kind of just with with this new, you know, the way the new where the Big Ten is right now, and obviously it's going to be changing. But the way it's worked forever is the fact that they have to play Ohio State and Michigan every single year, right? And it's like their team is always so good compared to the rest of the Big Ten, even you know all of the teams in the Big Ten West. But the fact that they're just not at that tier of Ohio State and Michigan means that they're never really in consideration for making the college football playoff, you know, you know, winning the Big Ten to a certain extent, right? But, like, we saw them play in the Rose Bowl last year. They crushed Utah in the Rose Bowl, right? So th- this team is worthy of being one of the top ten teams in college football in general, and I think they are. I think they're going to be ranked um, eighth or ninth or something like that. And so I, I have high hopes for, the pe- for this Penn State team the question is just going to be like, can you get one game over Michigan or Ohio State? Like, all you need is one, right? Because Michigan and Ohio State also play each other, right? So it's like, if if everybody, you know, and I don't know what the, the list of tiebreakers is in terms of, you know, who wins the Big Ten East if all of them beat each other. But like, right, if you think about, okay, well, Penn State plays Michigan at Penn State at home this year, right? So if Penn State's able to pull the upset, they beat Michigan. Okay, well, cool. So now you have a win over Michigan. And let's say Michigan, they play Ohio State at Michigan at the big house. Let's say Michigan gets that win over Ohio State. You essentially have all of these teams, all three of these teams. And this is why we're obviously kind of previewing them all first and a lot more in detail than all the other Big Ten teams is the fact that you could have have all three of these teams sitting at 11 and one in the regular season, all having a loss to one another. Right. And at that point, I don't know what the tiebreakers are. I know in general, the tiebreaker is obviously it's conference winning percentage, but at that point you'd have the same winning percentage, you know, among all three teams. I don't know if it's points scored. I don't know if it's head to head, like how many points you beat the other opponent by. I I don't know exactly what it is. Um, And that actually could end up being a factor here, but 
there is a world in which that actually happens this year, which I think would be super cool and, and kind of why I'm rooting for Penn State. Um, Hayden, I bet this. Over nine and a half, okay. Penn State, the win total. Because seriously, you got to think about it. Like the, Every other team on, on Penn State's schedule, they're going to win. They have a pretty easy schedule. They have a really easy non-conference schedule. Uh, and the rest of the teams on the, in the Big Ten that they play – Aren't kind of that, you know, aren't the caliber of te- and just the way the schedule lines up, you know, they're not playing, they're playing at Michigan State at home, you know, other other teams in the Big Ten that can kind of give them trouble. I think they're playing at Iowa. That's really the only tough game they might lose, but it's happened the last two years. Penn State's gone 10-2 and two in the regular season. They've won every single game on their schedule except Ohio State and Michigan. They've lost to Ohio State and Michigan each of the last two years, and those have been there's only, their only two losses, right? And I think that this team, this is one of those years where they've just been building up time over time, and that running game that Hayden mentioned, Nicholas Singleton and and uh, and Katron Allen are great running backs. Really, I probably the best, the second best running back duo in the country behind Blake Corum and and Donovan Edwards, which we just talked about. I think this team is ready to compete with Ohio State and Michigan, at least for this year, the way it's shaping up. I think they can get Michigan or, or possibly Ohio State, one of them. And it's like, if you get one of them, I mean, your, your season, you've already, you've, you've won this bet, right? On the over, on the over nine and a half in the win total. But I think even if they do lose to both Ohio State and Michigan, their team is, is just, is just probably better than last year. And, and last year, they won 10 games across the rest of their schedule. They lost to Ohio State and Michigan. So I think you're honestly safe, like regardless of what happens. I think your upside is honestly, this team could contend to win the Big Ten East and represent the Big Ten East in the, in the conference championship and potentially make it to the college football playoff. I don't think that's going to happen. That's why I'm not necessarily betting them to win the conference or anything. That's why I think the win total is probably the best thing because if they do lose to Ohio State and Michigan, they're still probably going to win 10 games. They could get one of those games, and by that point, like I said, you're, you're almost talking about them being a top-five team and, and, and could make the college football playoff. A lot of it will depend on Drew Allard, though, the quarterback, right, is, is the fact that Sean Clifford was good. He, he did what he needed to do to win all of the games except Ohio State and Michigan, but I think that the, the – you know, the, the, the Kind of all the skills that that Drew Allar brings, I'm very high on him. The, the the team is really high on him. Um, they're really excited for what he can do. I think like he's kind of the the exact guy that you need to be able to vault your team to a position where you can be, you know, a, a, a touchdown away from Michigan Ohio State and one you know one kind of the ball bounces your way in one of those games and and you're potentially winning that. So um, so I like I like Penn State for this year. I think they're probably getting a little bit underrated too by the fact that. They, you know, they're kind of always there, sitting there behind Ohio State and Michigan. But James Franklin's a great coach, and I think he has this team rolling. All right, moving on to our fourth team in the Big Ten East is Maryland. This team, this is a team that I always kind of want to do well because they sit in that Big Ten East division, and they're obviously below Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State altogether. But the sad part is that they had to play all three of them, and their schedule just sucks. Like they, they always have a pretty tough schedule, and this year it, it, it's very tough, let me tell you. Their out-of-conference games are not as tough, but again, they have to play Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all in the same season, and we just spent half an hour talking about those teams alone. So you know that they're going to be good. You know that they're most likely just going to crush Maryland in every one of those games. Um, but one team that we're not even talking about that – they're really going to have a lot of trouble against us. UVA in the third week. No, I'm kidding. It, they're going to crush UVA. But um, I just needed to make that joke because Matt and I both went there. And I work for U- the UVA football team. So I know that they're going to beat us. And basically everybody in the office, and if anybody in the office is listening to this right now, I I will make a bet with you that Maryland's going to win that game against us because we're playing at Maryland too. Um, but people have been trying to tell me in the office that, we're going to be able to beat Maryland. And I'm like, there's, there's just no way. I mean, 
there's yeah, there, there's absolutely no way that we do. So Maryland, really, really tough schedule as always. So it kind of just sucks for them to start out like that. Um, and then they also have two new, I mean, sorry, four new starters on the offensive line, which is not very good at all. We UVA was kind of stuck in the same position last year. We had a really young offensive line and a, a lot of new guys, and it, it proved to be very bad for our offense. And so I think I kind of see the same thing happening with Maryland. Of course, Maryland's still kind of a, a better team overall than UVA is. Um, and they've got Talia Tagovailoa in the backfield, Tua's brother, and he's he's playing quarterback. So it's I think it's his second or third year. I think it's his third year as their quarterback. So he's got a lot of experience back there, but that's really the only thing that they have going for them at this point. Don't really know much about their defense, but I think that their offense is, is really the part that shines on this team. And with that new offensive line, four new starters on that line, it's going to look, look a little bit shaky up front, and that's where it all starts. So I'm lo- a little bit pessimistic on this Maryland team this year just because, again, they have such a tough schedule. They have to play the, the three big dogs in the, in the Big Ten East, and they've got a, rare, a brand new offensive line that's not going to help uh, Talia, but, Talia much back there. I think he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the in in the country. Honestly, um, obviously, you know he's kind of living out the shine under his under his older brother. But he a report came out a couple of days ago. There were SEC teams that offered him over one and a half million dollars of worth of like an NIL package to come to play for their team, and he said no, he's going to stay with Maryland. So I mean, obviously, they have like the Under Armour money and all that too. So I'm, I'm sure that he's getting paid in some way. Um, but but kind of cool that that he that he wanted to stay with them and and, and it's true I think I mean he already has I think all their passing records and like the history of the school and everything so it, it's it's a good story um, but as Hayden said it's just it's honestly it's there's just a ceiling that's going to be attached to basically every other team that we talk about in the entire Big Ten East with the fact that you have to play all three of the big dogs like Hayden said so outside of that though I think they could they're they're going to be pretty good I think they won eight games last year uh or seven games maybe I think they you know they, they could probably do the same this year and that's that's good for Maryland like you have to you have to kind of put this into perspective of like their football team has never been good uh and and I think that they actually have a chance to to be winning eight games which for most college football teams like I mean right, Hayden was talking about UVA like if UVA won eight well I was actually at UVA when we won eight games and that was it was crazy everybody was talking about it it was great like the, the we beat Virginia Tech, which never happens, and and you know all of this kind of culminating into we won, we actually played in the ACC championship game against Clemson, probably lost by like fifty five points. But that's that's one of those things where you you as a college football fan, you you kind of have to know where your place is in terms of you know where you kind of fit in 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 the realm of college football, and and if you're Maryland. You're playing in the second toughest conference in the entire league or in the entire entire country. And you're the fourth best team in your division, yes. But I mean, if look at this: if Maryland was in the Big Ten West, they'd be competing for the Big Ten championship, or the, yeah, potentially competing for the Big Ten championship every year. The problem is, as Hayden mentioned, they're they're just kind of stuck behind these these powerhouses at the top. But I'm I'm overall I'm positive on the state of the Michigan program, or sorry, the Maryland program, um, and and I think that they're going to have a great year this year. Obviously, right. The caveat being that you know the defense is okay. The offensive line, as Hayden mentioned, I think is a, it's a really big, you know, a really big problem. I think that you know they don't really have much experience there. But I think overall, you know, I, I'm 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 high on the state the Mich- the Maryland program is at right now. I don't 
again, they're not going to be winning 10 games anytime soon. Um, well, actually, they could be next year when all of the schedule changes and everything and the divisions go away. So so this is this is why I think for the rest of the teams that we're talking about in the Big Ten East, it's, it's almost like this year, okay, yeah, like you're not going to win. These, these are not teams that are going to be competing for the Big Ten, but it's almost a, a freeing thought that like next year these teams are going to be playing completely different teams and will have a chance to win, you know, nine, ten games depending on how their schedule lines up. Uh, but yeah, so overall for Maryland, I, I like that Talia is staying there. I think he's going to be a really great quarterback and, and really put up a bunch of numbers this year. He'll probably get drafted too, so so that's at least a positive thing I think about Maryland. But but right in terms of like the amount of wins they're going to get, they're, they're probably going to be you know, middle of the pack, big 10, but simply thinking that like, okay, they are, they, they are already behind those three teams in their division. They're, they're just as good as every other big 10 team just behind those big three, you know, powerhouses at the top. Yeah. It, it would honestly be really interesting to see them in the big 10 West. I think that they would give every team in the big 10 West a run for their money. And honestly, they'd, they'd probably be able to win it, you know, a couple times here and there. So kind of sad for Maryland that they're, that they're stuck in that, middle tier of the sec i mean i mean big 10 east but um going on to i mean moving on to our last team of the sec oh my gosh big 10 east is michigan state this is the last thing that we're going to talk about for the big 10 east today michigan state they've had a lot of struggles the past few years and i think this is kind of the point of talking about them is that at least for me after doing my research on them they it seems like they're just going to be even worse and even more abysmal than they have the past few years ever since they had, you know, like the Le'Veon Bell situation, and then, they I mean, they had Kirk Cousins a while back, too. Ever since those guys left, they've just been downhill. It's been a downhill spiral ever since then, and they haven't well, been able to pick it up. They had one that one year, and it was, ironically, the first year um, that... Mel Tucker was the coach there. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a so-so hire. They didn't really know. But he put together a great transfer team. That was one of the first years that transfers actually kind of were, you know, were, were, were big. Um, I think they went 10-2, and 10-3. and three. I think they maybe won their bowl game, too. Um, and... And this team was 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 great. I mean, that was the uh, that was the Kenneth Walker team, right? So oh, right. they got the transfer yeah. from you know from Wake Forest when Kenneth Walker came over there. Um, their defense was pretty bad, but they were just able to win all their close games and everything. And what happened after that was they gave Mel Tucker, I think, a ten year ninety million dollar extension. No, ten year nine hundred million, something like that, to where he's 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 making like fifty to hundred dollars or hundred million dollars a year. And and that's the thing is that. Hayden was mentioning after Le'Veon Bell and Kirk Cousins left, basically ever since then, or for the you know three or four years um, when uh, Mark D'Antonio left, that was kind of the end of the era. They thought, well, they hire Mel Tucker, he has a great year in his first year, and they're like, oh my god, we're back on the map. And then ever since then, it's been bad, right? So it's almost like they kind of had a, a year, some couple of years of spiraling down, had an insane up year, you know, re, you know, signed the coach to this huge deal, and now they're kind of stuck with him while their team has just been now spiraling back downwards, as Hayden was saying. All right, so kind of just talking about a little bit about their like personnel wise um they had, so their QB Peyton Thorne who played last season he transferred and then their top wide receiver Keon Coleman also hit the transfer portal and so their offense is just kind of it's for a reason too i mean when when your starting quarterback and your top receiver both hit the portal it's a bad sign for your team i mean cuz usually when they leave when those kinds of guys leave then the rest of the team gets the message we shouldn't. We're not really all in on this season. So I think that Michigan State is really going to struggle this season again. Uh, the past two years, Michigan State's defense has ranked below 100th in total defense. 
the past two years, and they're in the Big Ten, the second-best conference in college football. That's that's not a good sign when your team is ranking below 100th in total defense um, in, in each of the past two years. It's looking like they're probably going to do that again. I mean, you, you never really can tell because it's, it's, it's compared to every other team in college football, so you don't really know how the other defenses are going to fare, but it's looking like Michigan State is just going to kind of stay that very, very mediocre team, mediocre to bad team, in the Big Ten East here, and they're not even really going to have a chance. Yeah, Hayden, Hayden nailed it with the defense there. I think I think two years ago, in in one of those years that, that he was talking about, they were actually last in the entire FBS, like entire Division One football in terms of pass defense. Um, it was just bad. And that was the year after the 10-3, and three, you know, uh, Kenneth Walker year, right? So you're thinking, all right, well, something's going to change here. Oh, but, you know, the first time that Mel Tucker did this, he brought in a bunch of transfers and made the situation all better. But it's like... It's just such a, a, a frail nature of, of this transfer portal era. It's great, but it's like if you're building your entire team on transfers, you have to rely on that happening every single year. And you, you just can't rely on the fact that every single year there's going to be this many transfers that are able to, to you know, supplement every single position on your, on your team. And so I think, I think he got high on himself when it worked out that one year, and ever since then it's, it hasn't gone well. And in fact, as Hayden mentioned this year, they've lost a lot more to the transfer portal than they've gotten, uh, namely, you know, quarterback and, and, and wide receiver. Peyton Thorne is okay. I mean, you know, he was, he's been their quarterback for, I think, two years now. Um, I think he started it when in Mel Tucker's first year, so he he's he's a okay player, but he's he's nothing special. He went he's going to Auburn, um, where you know as we talked about in the last podcast, Hugh Freeze is their head coach now. So I think that if if anybody is able to kind of get anything out of Peyton Thorne, it's going to be Hugh Freeze over Mel Tucker, right? Uh, and then Keon Coleman, who actually is projected to be a top five wide receiver in next year's draft. So this guy is really he he transferred to Florida State, and he's automatically Florida State's best wide receiver, and that's a top. Five, I think they're ranked third Florida State team. Um, so that's kind of the that that if that that in a nutshell, I think tells you everything you need to know about Michigan State and, and kind of where they're trending in, in in the Big Ten. All right. With that being said, we're going to wrap up the Big Ten East and then move into the Big Ten West. So the first team here is Wisconsin, and again, this is in descending order of competency in the Big Ten in in, in the Big Ten West. So Wisconsin being at the forefront here, Wisconsin's worse than the top three teams in the maybe even arguably the top four teams in the Big Ten East. Uh, we've got a new head coach in town, Luke Fickle, came over from Cincinnati, um, and I'll let Matt talk about what what he brought with him. But Braylon Allen, this guy, so this is really the only time, really the only part I have to talk about for Wisconsin here. Braylon Allen is a guy who, if you don't know, his story is pretty crazy. He came in. I think he, he was like an early enrollee for Wisconsin. So he came in when he was only 17 years old, and he was essentially the starting running back for Wisconsin from day one. So he was he was named as a starter for starting running back for Wisconsin at the age of 17. He could I think he can squat 600 pounds or something like that at the age of 17 or 18. At this point, he's probably 19-ish. But again, I mean, he, he's just a beast. If you've seen this guy, like just go to his Instagram and – I mean, you're gonna hit a big pause here, but just look at his body. I mean, the the, the guy is cut up. He's he's huge. He just it looks he's like he's your he typical has, Wisconsin running back. Yeah. I mean, Melvin Gordon. You know, that's it. No, Jonathan Taylor. You know, like all these guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So yeah, Braylon Allen. Monte Ball. Yeah. 
Oh wow, that's that's, a, a, that's a new one. There's a one, yeah. Who do you play for in the, in the NFL, Matt? The Broncos. Okay, nice. So did Melvin Gordon, ironically. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Speaking of Melvin Gordon, got think, signed by I think the Jets. Yeah, I, I remember. Or no wait, Carolina Jaguars. <laughs> Carolina. I don't know. Let me look it up real quick. When, yeah, that's gonna look it up real quick. But Braylon Allen, yes, he's he's gonna be the star of of this uh, Wisconsin team. Also, Baltimore Ravens. For Melvin Gordon. Oh, All right. Even more of a reason to be familiar. high on the Ravens. Yes. He's going to fumble three times in the first two games. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, Graham Mertz is leaving Wisconsin this year, and that's not much of a loss there. <laughs> we talked about Graham Mertz last, um, last episode because he is going to – Not Missouri. Florida. Florida, Florida yes. Uh, he's going to Florida. So, they're losing Graham Mertz, but, again, that's not a huge loss. It would be a lot worse if they were losing a guy like Braylon Allen. He's going to be the star of their team this year. Uh, I just don't really see Wisconsin doing much. They, they'll they probably be in contention to be in the Big Ten Championship with either Michigan or Ohio State or maybe even Penn State, possibly. Uh, but, yeah, they're, they're not really doing much on, you know, on past that, I guess. They're not going to be winning the Big Ten at all, so. So the the big thing for here for Wisconsin, as Hayden mentioned, Luke Fickle comes over from Cincinnati uh, and, and – and Wisconsin, in, by nature, has been, you know, the ground and pound, as we mentioned, all the running backs that have come through there. Essentially, it's only Melvin Gordon, uh, as for what I could remember. But that, that, that's been the nature of their team. It's been the nature of their offense for, for years now, right? And they've been successful at doing that, okay? Now, here's the difference. And, and this is the big thing for Wisconsin in this upcoming year is the fact that, yes, Luke Fickle is coming over. He's a, he's a good coach. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was coaching Cincinnati. Like, they've been one of the they, – they've been the best group of five team for the past probably five years now. They made it to the college football playoff. They went undefeated, you know, that, that season two years ago. Uh, and so I think that he's going to be a good addition to this program. He's going to be able to kind of build them up into what they were before. Here's where the difference is. Okay. Hayden mentioned they bring in Tanner Mordecai. He's a he's a quarterback from SMU. If you know anything about SMU, it's that they score like 70 points a game. And so you're thinking, hold on, what, what's the, what's the, the meaning behind this? Or, you know, what are we trying to get at here with Graham Mertz kind of leaving and, and we're bringing an air raid quarterback? Well, guess who they brought in as offensive coordinator? guy named Phil Longo. And where did he coach before? UNC. And if, what do we know about UNC? They score 70 points a game, okay? And so that's kind of – and obviously he coached Sam, Sam Howell. He coached Drake May. So it's an interesting move, and it basically cements the fact that Wisconsin is moving from what used to be ground and pound, you know, play tough defense, run the ball, to now basically the, the fastest offense air raid you could get or, you know, as much as uh, of that offense as you can get which is an interesting turn for Wisconsin in general. Now, you know, is it going to work? That's really the biggest question and, and why I think, you know, Wisconsin is kind of, you know, one of those more unknown teams in terms of what they're going to do here in this 2023 season. I think they're still going to be good enough to kind of be in contention for the Big Ten West and, and, you know, winning this this division. There's a reason why we're talking about them first, right? I think their win total is nine, mainly because their schedule is just so easy. Their schedule is insanely easy this year which is probably good in terms of if you're thinking about they're you know introducing a new head coach they're introducing an entire new offensive scheme so there's a lot that they're going to have to kind of transition this year but I think if anything you know you'd want to schedule like they have so I think they're going to they're going to do well they're going to win a lot of games it's just going to be a question of whether or not they're able to kind of fully implement and successfully implement the air raid scheme in Wisconsin and that's the other thing man is the fact that like it could work but 
as we've seen, and I think the biggest example is the Buffalo Bills, right? He's like, that offense is great. You know, you have Josh Allen, you have Stephon Dix, you have great receivers and skill positions, but when you get to a blizzard game in the snow in late January, you'll lose at home because that offense doesn't work in the cold and the, you know, and, and the snowing and wet weather. And it's the same thing for Wisconsin. So that's where my question comes in is the fact that now obviously the college football season's a lot smaller or a lot shorter. You know, they're playing their last game, I think, on, on Black Friday, Thanksgiving time. So and by then there has there probably won't be, you know, snow in the forecast every single weekend. But it's still going to be cold, you know, and, and that's that's not necessarily the best thing for running an air raid offense. That's going to be the biggest question for me is how does this this scheme change fit with kind of the and and it fits with like what they had before where ground and pound and, and and tough defense when you're playing at home in Madison and you know in late November like that's an advantage for you because it's going to be snowing it's going to be cold whereas an air raid offense I don't know how that's going to work so we'll see I, I think you know obviously the expectations are high like I said they have a win total of nine which is which is pretty up there so if you bet over you they have to win 10 games I don't necessarily see 10 wins for this Wisconsin team but they're favored to win the Big Ten West this year it's just going to be I think just I'm not necessarily confident in them doing that because there are so many unanswered questions in terms of the entire scheme shift that they have coming in this year. Okay, our second team here in the Big Ten West is Iowa, and I'll say a couple things about this team, and then we'll move on to our third team. Well, Matt will say a couple things too, and then we'll move on to our third team. But apparently their offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, has to put up a certain amount of points per game this year in order to keep his job. So I don't know if this is just a rumor or this is just like – no, it's true. It is. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think it's twenty four or some. It's somewhere. It's like tw- there. yeah. It's like I think twenty. Yeah, twenty four, twenty five, yeah. something like that. I, I think it's twenty five because if he averages twenty four, it's like they want him to like because twenty four is such a uh, a commonly yeah. a common score right, in football right. that they're like you need to get you need to average more than twenty four because then it's like you're you're actually putting up more than like the, the common number of twenty four points, whatever. So yeah, and the re- and if you're wondering why, if you're wondering why we haven't mentioned this for any other team that we've talked about so far, even in the SEC, either it's because I. Iowa's offense was so terribly bad last season. I mean, it was it's probably one of the worst showings by a, by a football offense that we've ever seen in the history of football. And I think that they probably averaged around somewhere around like 10 points. I think at one point their defense, which their defense was actually pretty good last season. They just couldn't they were always on the field because the offense couldn't stay on the field and couldn't score points. And so they're always on the field because they, you know, the offense couldn't make up for anything, and they weren't able to do as well because of that. Because they were all tired and you know gassed because they were always on the field. I think at one point their defense last year was it was like halfway through the season, and their defense had scored either more points than their offense, or they were like they were within like five points of how many points the offense had scored so far that that season it's just like dude that that, that's crazy that should not be a thing your defense should not be scoring the same amount of points as your offense but that's that's kind of how it was I think that they lost one of their safeties or he got hurt last season it was it was like their their best safety and he was um I think he was like really the only guy that was gonna that had a chance of getting drafted but I think I think he got hurt and maybe he didn't get go to the draft and so now he's playing again this season it's something along along those lines but their defense is looking pretty good again this season and then they're bringing in uh, a quarterback from Michigan it's, it's actually so JJ McCarthy kind of took over f- for this guy named K- uh, Cade McNamara at Michigan and then Cade McNamara he played at Michigan last season came in a couple times because he was better at some things than JJ McCarthy was but JJ McCarthy's just overall a much more athletic quarterback so Cade McNamara decided to transfer over to Iowa He's very much a pro-style quarterback. He's, he's not going to show you any any flashes on tape, that's for sure. 
he's not going to look good on the field, but he, he but he does produce. He does get the ball out of his hands, and he gets in the receiver's hands safely. So hopefully he'll help uh, help his his friend Brian Ferentz at the offensive coordinator position there. Hopefully he'll he'll help him keep his job this year and put up twenty five points a game. But we'll see how that goes. Excited to see Caden McNamara somewhere where he can shine, though, because Michigan, it was a little bit sad to see him kind of struggle at Michigan, especially with J.J. McCarthy taking over that whole offense by the time it was, you know, halfway through last season. So excited to see Caden McNamara there and excited to see this defense hopefully make up for the offensive struggles that they had last season. So the offense is so bad because if if you didn't know, Hayden, the head coach, his name is Kirk Ferentz. So... If you can put the two together there, connect the dotted line, Kirk Ferentz's son, Brian Ferentz, is the offensive coordinator, and oh. that's why everything has been so bad, is because this guy's just gotten through a nepotism alone for his entire career, and he doesn't actually have to do anything because he knows the defense is always going to be so good, so he's like, ah, whatever, I, don't, I won't score any points. So now they finally put him in this place, and they're like, just reach this goal, and your job is going to be safe. He probably won't be able to do that, though. Here's the craziest stat from the entire college football season of last year. It involves Iowa. It was on September 3rd, 2022. It was Iowa's first game. They played South Dakota State. FCS, South Dakota State. The score, the final score of this game was 7-3. to three. Iowa won, but here's the box score. First quarter, Iowa outscores South Dakota State 3 to nothing. South Dakota State now outscores Iowa in the second quarter 3 to 3 nothing. So it's 6 to 6, or no, 3 sorry, 3 to 3 going into halftime. Iowa gets a safety in the third quarter. South Dakota State doesn't score a single point in the third quarter. Iowa gets a safety in the fourth quarter. South Dakota State doesn't score a point in the fourth quarter. This game ended 7-3. to three. Iowa had two safeties and a field yeah, goal no and won downs. the game. Yeah. Are you kidding me? All right? So if, if, there's any, if there's anything that you're ever looking about in terms of Iowa football, that's the stat to point to. That's the game. Uh, it's just just insane how, how crazy that, that ended. But, yes, as I mentioned, the, the roster I think this year is, is going to be – Better. Obviously, on offense, you bring in Cade McNamara. You get a good couple good transfer wide receivers. Uh, so I think the offense is, is they're going to have more playmakers at least because they're they're the one thing I will say. The past two quarterbacks have been Spencer Petrus. He was he was horrible. There's another guy I don't even remember his name was also really bad. So you got a, a, a talented quarterback in there. The defense is always gonna is always good. It always is because Kirk Ferentz is, is an amazing defensive coach. Um, you lose Luke Van Ness to the draft to the Packers. But you bring in the guy from – do you know the guy from UVA? They brought in – he's like one of the best linebackers. Oh, yeah, Nick Jackson. Yeah, so they bring in him yeah. for to kind of supplant uh, Luke Van Ness there on the defense. I think they're going to be good this year again. Well, the thing, the problem is they've always been good, but they just haven't had any offense. So it's like you, you, you think they're terrible, but they're like they still always win eight games every year. So I think they're honestly continuing on that path and almost probably have more upside now with the offensive changes. All right, moving on to this third team here in the Big Ten West. That's Nebraska. Now, there was a, a, a big coaching change here. I'm not going to mess it up this time. It was uh, it was Scott Frost, not Hugh Freeze. That Last episode, I had to cut it out. But I said that I said that Hugh Freeze was the former coach of Nebraska. An, under, an understandable uh, yes. change there. You're getting, getting your cold adjectives mixed up. <laughs> yeah, 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 Scott Frost. I didn't even really realize that. But, yeah, Scott Frost uh, got fired as a result of just being really bad for Nebraska. And they hired Matt Rule, who was the head coach of the Panthers formerly, but now is the head coach of Nebraska. And Matt Rule actually back in 2014 coached Temple. I think he coached Baylor before that. If after I'm, that. After that. Yeah. But he – essentially my point here is that 
he's done this before. So Nebraska has, has had a pretty few rough years here, and they used to be really good. I mean, back in like the '80s and '90s, I think that they you know they were a powerhouse. They were basically the best team in the country, and going to national championships and everything like that. Matt Rule, if there's one guy, he's definitely a college coach. He's not he's not really made for the NFL. He's kind of just like Nick Saban, just doesn't really work in the NFL, but is a great college coach. Back in 2014, he did this with Temple. I think within two years, he had Temple go from being two and ten to like ten and two or something like Winning that. Winning the AAC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he basically flipped the record around from being two and ten to ten and two in two years. So PJ Walker was the quarterback there. There now, you go, Matt. XFL legend. Useless knowledge, but he's done this before. He's turned a team like this around before. So this is kind of it seems like the perfect storm here for Nebraska. We just got to see it happen. They got Jeff Sims from uh, from Georgia Tech. Their court, Georgia Tech's former quarterback transferred to, to Nebraska. My only concern is that Georgia Tech, if you don't know, they run the triple option, and so they don't throw that much. They Since Jeff Sims has been there, they hadn't, though. They transitioned out of that after Paul Johnson left, I think, probably okay. five, four or five years ago. So it was like they were – Jeff Sims was actually the first quarterback there after they had run the triple option, but he is a very much a dual-threat quarterback. Yeah, so. right. Okay, so – that's better news for Nebraska. Last thing I'll say about them is uh, defensive coordinator Tony White. I've read up on this guy. He gets freaky with his defensive for- formations. He just throws everything at you. He like A lot of times defenses or just teams in general on both sides of the ball, they'll have a style for how they run their offense or their defense, or they'll line up in the same formation most of the time. Apparently, Tony White, their defensive coordinator for Nebraska, he he doesn't do that. Like He just he lines up in every formation that, that – you can name in the book and he does something, he does something crazy out of it. He throws crazy blitzes at you. So he's actually, hopefully this, you know, he'll be able to kind of confuse offenses with his crazy defensive schemes and, and, and formations. And he'll kind of be able to throw things at teams that they haven't seen before on film. And hopefully that also surprise teams and give Nebraska a, a slight edge on the defensive end there, but excited to see what this team can do with Matt rule coming in and Jeff Sims coming at the helm at quarterback We'll see how they do. Yeah, it's it's going to probably take a couple years uh, because obviously, as we saw in other places that Matt Rule has gone, it has taken a couple years. Um, he did the same thing at Baylor, as as we said. I think you know it took him maybe two or three three years, I think, uh, and he had Baylor in the in the in the Big Twelve championship game. So he he's able to turn around these big programs. He's able to do it quickly. But this is kind of the first year. Now they do have, as Hayden said, Jim, Jeff Sims is coming in. They you know they they have a good defense still, so they're going to be competitive. I don't think that they're going to be competing for, you know, the Big Ten West championship or anything or, you know, winning the Big Ten West, competing for the Big Ten championship or anything as of yet. Uh, but if he can get their recruiting turned around and, and obviously he's a he's a great at, you know, kind of running a program. This is a this is probably the best hire that Nebraska could make, especially after kind of thinking that they had the best hire in the world in Scott Frost who ended up, you know, completely uh, laying an laying an egg <laughs> in his time there at Nebraska. I think they were like some insane, like six and twenty-five in one-score games or something, in the, in during Scott Frost's tenure there, it might just be a Nebraska thing at this point. But hopefully, Matt Rule is able to kind of turn around. I think he will be, not necessarily this year though. Um, I think their win total is like six and a half, so they're kind of you know right in like kind of around the five hundred range are expected to be. Uh, their schedule is really tough too, so I, I don't I don't see them kind of popping really. Um, I think their odds to win the Big Ten are like sixty to one, like not nothing that that they're going to be able to surprise. A, you know, a ton here in year one, but you know, give it three or four years. Nebraska is going to be, you know, at the top of the big 10 West in my mind. All right, there you go. Well, fourth team in the big 10 West here. I'm not going to talk really at all about them is Illinois. The only thing I'll say about them is that 
I'm pretty sure I saw – I think they came to UVA and they played us at home last year or the year before. And, uh, I mean, they've always been, like, kind of – I don't know. They they've been kind of decent, and they've been a team that can make. I'm I'm pretty sure that they've upset a, a good team in the Big Ten recently or in recent years, but they're not really looking too good this year. Um, and they they lost. The only thing I really know about them that's notable is that they lost Devin Witherspoon on the defensive end, their their best corner. And Devin Witherspoon went, I think it was like seventh in the in the first, or I mean, in the NFL draft overall. So. Obviously, a huge loss to their defense, and Matt can talk about the rest because I don't really have much else to say. Yeah, I, I don't either too much. I, I wanted to keep them in here because it was basically either, and again, we, we because the podcast is so long, we couldn't even cover all the teams in uh, in in the Big Ten. It was kind of either Illinois or Michigan. They're both, or sorry, Illinois or Minnesota. They're both kind of in that like six to seven win range. Illinois has has been getting better progressively, though. Their coach is Brett Bielema. He was at Wisconsin uh, before, and Wisconsin fired him because he wasn't doing good enough, and now Wisconsin's doing worse than they were uh, when he was their coach, ironically. Uh, he spent some time, I think, at Arkansas in the, in the SEC, and now he's back in the Big Ten. He's he's just you know a ground-and-pound guy. He's, 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 I think, perfect for an, an Illinois team that isn't as talented, doesn't have the talented players that, you know, the better teams in the Big Ten have, but his style of coaching, you know, playing good and, and tough defense along with, you know, running the football on offense is is what's going to kind of give a, a, a solid floor to this team where it's like they're never going to win, you know, three or four games. They're always going to win more than that, but they're never kind of going to reach that 10-win mark. Uh, but it's better than they were because they were winning three or four games back when Lovey Smith was their head coach probably, you know, five or six years ago at this point. Uh, you know, they kind of popped last year. As I mentioned, you lose Devin Witherspoon. You also lose Chase Brown, their running back, who actually yes. led he led the country in, I think, maybe second in the country in rushing last year. Um, I, think, no, I think he led it. Dwayne McBride, I know, was the UAB running back. I think he was, yeah, I think Chase Brown was first. Um, so it's like that That just proves that, you know, they, they, they kind of have things running there. And I think that those are both players who I think were either like not even rated or like two or three star prospects coming into Illinois. Being in Illinois, being coached up, led them to getting drafted in the NFL. So I think it's, it's that this is one of those teams where they're not going to get the best talent, but they're going to develop the talent that they do have into, you know, prospects for the NFL, which I think is the best thing that you can ask for, especially where a team with a team like Illinois, who's never been great, but is always going to be, you know, they're, they're in the Big Ten and you have to still be able to compete. I think this is the, the, the perfect way to do that. So, yeah, so nothing, you know, super extensive here, but I just kind of wanted to mention them as, as a team that's it's, it's very, it has a solid, you know, framework now. Now, they do lose Ryan Walters, their defensive coordinator, who's now taking over the, as the head coach of Penn State, or sorry, Purdue. He was a, he's a really, really good coach. So it's going to be interesting to see if their defense this year is as good as it was last year. They actually, I think, were the number one defense in the country last year in terms of, you know, points per game, everything like that. And they lose a couple of those pieces. But I think, again, like the floor on this on this Illinois team is is high, which is good, uh, but but going to, you know, obviously not, you know, competing for the Big Ten Championship or anything. All right. And last and pretty much certainly least here, we've got, we've got Northwestern as the last Big Ten West team and the last team of this whole Big Ten episode here. Only thing, thing I'm going to say about them is that they're probably going to suck even more now that Pat Fitzgerald is gone. Pat Fitzgerald has been really their only hope over the past however many, like 12 years that he's been there, and he just got fired because of the whole hazing thing. I'm sure that you guys have heard because it's been all over the news recently. So, again, this team is has not been short of making the news recently, but it's for the wrong reasons. And so it's not for how good that they're going to be this season, um, and they're probably going to be even worse now that they – don't really have much direction with in, in terms of head coach and 
they don't really have any notable players, I don't think, coming back or, or joining them from a transfer class. Their transfer class, I bet you, is, is probably negative at this point. They've lost a lot of their commits for the, the at least the 2024 um, guys that are graduating high school in 2024, which, again, they won't be playing for another two years in college, but I've just noticed that because I'm part of the recruiting world for UVA, so I've, I've seen that happen recently, and it's, it's sad to see, but it makes sense. And so they've been going through a lot of a, a lot of turmoil recently in the news and just in general but they just won't yeah they won't have a, a good season this year and that's the way that I'm going to leave it. Yeah, the only reason I really included this was because um Hayden I bet this under three and a half wins. You got you're not even used to it now. I thought that you were going to catch on. That's what I do every yeah. time I say that I have a bet. So maybe yes. include a, include a cash register sound or something on this. Oh. Um this is one of my favorite season win total bets that I've made the entire season so far um it's 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 three and a half they're not Northwestern's not gonna win four games this year and it's and it sucks to say obviously but like the only reason they had a chance was because of Pat Fitzgerald this guy's taking this program which is now gonna be completely dead I mean they were already trending that way just because the transfer portal and you know getting in recruits and NIL again Northwestern's one of those schools like UVA like Stanford you know these schools where it's academically rigorous and it's tough to get into the school. So the recruiting is not going to be, you know, fair in terms of, you know, the, the NAL packages that are able to provide guys and everything like that. It's just not going to stack up against the other schools in the SEC and the Big Ten. So, yeah, as soon as they fired Pat Fitzgerald, I was like, there's no way they're going to they're gonna win four games. Their schedule is tough. They, won't, they went 1-11 last year and their only win was against Nebraska. Who's going to be better this year, right? So that's that's kind of my thing here is that I the only reason I include them, again, is to say that they suck. I'm sorry if you're a Northwestern fan. Um, at least you can make some money on the under, under three and a half season win total, though. <laughs> All right. Well, with that being said, that wraps up the Big Ten talk. We're going to hop into our rundown section real quick. We only have two topics, so let's do it. First one here is training camp fights have started to break the news in the NFL. And every year people act like it's going to be the end of the world of their team. It's going to be the demise of their team. Uh, One of note is I think yesterday Travis Kelsey punched some dude in practice and it turned out to not really be that big of a deal. But again, the news loves to just egg it on and and drag it out for no reason and act like it's going to be some crazy drama that's going to plague the team entering the season, but I don't think it's going to do that. Um, and then there was another one a couple of days ago. George Pickens got into a fight with one of the Steelers' cornerbacks. I, don't, I think it was Cam Sutton, but I'm not completely sure. And, yeah, that became big news too. It was like, oh, my gosh, you know, George Pickens threw Cam Sutton to the ground, and then Cam Sutton retaliated, and they had to the rest of the team had to break them up. And it's like, it's football, dude. This is what happens if, if your team isn't – fiery like this in training camp it's honestly a bad sign for the season because then your team isn't going to have that kind of competitiveness during the season because if you don't I mean it's kind of cheesy but I always kind of go by the the age-old saying of if you don't you got to practice how you play and if you don't then you're not going to play well so if these guys aren't if if these guys don't aren't playing with emotion now they're not going to really play with emotion during the season in my opinion so again it's it's training camp I'd like to hear Matt's opinion on this but I just think that it's it's but it's much a stupid, uh, you know, news fluff when we get these reports of, of guys fighting in training camp and and then acting like it's going to plague their team later on. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I, I see both sides in terms of like the the whole football argument. Like, yes, you want to practice hard and everything like that, but it's also training camp. These guys aren't even wearing pads yet, so it's like 
to and and in both of these cases, especially with the Travis Kelsey one, it was like he caught a touchdown, and then like the defensive player who I is I think like a back like he's not nobody, um, like punched the ball out after, and it's like that like. Yes, you want your players to be fiery, but like that type of stuff where it's like you're just doing extra yeah. stuff for no reason and like playing extra hard for no reason when the like the understood like way about this is like, okay, we're literally doing a walkthrough. Like the point is to not play hard. It's just kind of drill things down. I, I, I kind of I kind of side with 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 Kelsey on that one where it's like you don't need to be doing that. Now again, to Hayden's point, this is what I do agree with him on is the fact that the media completely blows out of proportion. They're like, Kelsey. Travis Kelsey punches teammate. It's like you watch the video. It's like the guy punched the ball out of Kelsey's hands. Kelsey turns around and like lightly. I mean, it wasn't, I guess, light for a football player, like pushes the guy. And then they like talk to each other for like two seconds and then they walk their separate ways. And it's like, you're breaking this out like he's in a bar fight, like smashing a chair over this guy's head. And it's like, no, you just pushed him after after he punched the ball out of his hands. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Second rundown topic here and last topic of the episode Jonathan Taylor requested a trade from the Colts yesterday following Jim Ursay their the Colts owners comments about paying running backs essentially a, a brief summary of what Jim Ursay said was John well there's been talks about part of the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL which is which has to deal with a lot of the money and like the law side of the NFL there's been talks of trying to reform part of it or add a part of it to ensure that certain positions in football get a certain amount of money or are paid more. And so the running backs, when the whole news about Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley not getting paid came out, uh, there were, there were a lot of, there was a lot of talks about forming a certain part of the CBA collective bargaining agreement in order to kind of compensate for these underpaid positions, AKA running backs. And Jim Irsay came out and, and essentially said it's inappropriate and it doesn't need to be done. And so Jonathan Taylor took offense to that and basically wants to trade from the team now. But now Jim Ursay is saying that he didn't, he wasn't directing those his comments towards Jonathan Taylor, which I don't think he ever mentioned Jonathan Taylor's name. But it was kind of you know since he was saying since he had a since he had comments on it and he had something to say about it, Jonathan Taylor took a little bit of offense to that. And with Jonathan Taylor only having one year left on his rookie contract. He he's now requested a trade from the Colts. Matt, do we think that this will actually go through? I, it it looks like it as of now. The most recent thing I got from Bleacher Report said that like the Colts are looking for an early round trade or like you know an early round pick as part of the Jonathan Taylor trade. So it's almost like they're coming out saying like if you do want to trade for him, here's what we want, uh, which you usually don't hear this early, especially after like you know things kind of came out yesterday. So um, yeah, I mean it, it probably won't. Like in the next couple weeks, like before the season starts, I think he's still going to be playing for the Colts. But I mean, I guess if he, well, I don't know. I mean, if he requested a trade, does that mean he's going to hold, hold out? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That there's been, I haven't seen anything on that about holding out, but he may. I, I just think that, I think this has happened before with, with players where they request a trade and then they end up still playing because they're like, it, it kind of just comes down to crunch time and it's like, I better play to get money. Yeah, so. that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like he's on his rookie deal. And yes, it's a good deal. And okay, cool. And you want to get paid. I understand that. But like, you only been in the NFL for three years. And, and you know, yes, he's now a millionaire. Okay, cool. But again, this is a guy who is, you know, probably the in terms of his age range, the best young running back in the entire league. And it's like, yeah. I understand from his perspective, knowing that and, and therefore being like, I deserve to get, 
you know, paid all this more, or, you know, I know, I, I think that I can get paid more somewhere else than I can here. But again, we saw it with Saquon Barkley, man, like he was offered a better deal than he ended up getting after signing this past week. He was offered a better deal in the middle of the season this past year. Didn't take it because he's like, oh, well, you know, I can get more money. I think his agent advised him to take or to not take it. Um, but either way, right, he's like, oh, I can make more money. Then he makes the big stand about, oh, well, we, you know, running backs need to get paid more. And then like two days later, he's like signs a contract where the only difference from what they offered him at first is that he gets $900,000 extra in incentives, which is like if he gets 20 touchdowns or whatever. Um, I don't know the exact stats, but that, that's that's the point. It's like it's not like he got an, an additional million dollars worth of salary. It's, it's only if he reaches certain goals in the season. So it's like it, you didn't even accomplish your goal and you still settled for less money than you were getting in the, you know, the regular season to begin with. So I, I, good for Jonathan Taylor for kind of following all of this, you know, this 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 running back drama up. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, the Colts are kind of in a, in a period of transition, obviously, with, you know, with um, Anthony and Richardson coming in and, and playing this year. And I mean, you know, I think the, the upside for the Colts, at least in the preseason stuff that I've kind of read and listened to. Uh, is the fact that imagine that duo running, you know, an offense that is is built for both of them, right? Anthony Richardson and and Jonathan Taylor could be, you know, one of the you know, could be the best quarterback running back duo in terms of you know running an option offense stuff like that. Um, and if you kind of are having all this strife within the team, you know, I don't, I don't know how it's going to go, but it's like they're not a t- they're not going to be competing for the division or anything, right? So it's like you want to at least kind of get your one star under under contract, I guess. But but right, I mean, if they don't think that they have to pay him, then I guess they won't. And Jonathan Taylor, we'll see if he if he has the stomach to be able to almost hold out on a rookie contract, which I don't think that's ever happened before. And who knows? I, I don't think it's a good move, but I guess you know it's the principle of the matter at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different situation, and we'll it's going to be exciting to see how it turns out, but. With that being said, we're going to end off the episode here. Um, again, we kind of did forget to pick our, our Big Ten championship slash champion, but I think we're going to do that next episode just kind of for – because you guys are probably tired of hearing about the Big Ten right now, and it's, we're also an hour and a half through this recording right now before editing. So it's going to be pretty close to an hour and a half total of episode for you guys. So uh, we're going to end it off here, and we're going to give you guys our Big Ten championship slash Big Ten champion at the beginning of next episode, just like we did the the SEC today. So, yes, thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you guys for the continued support. We are going to keep on coming at you with this football content, dude. We're we're locked in here. We've had a good, solid, I think, two weeks of posting twice a week here. So get ready for this to continue and get ready for some NFL after next episode and maybe the episode after that. We still have a good five or so weeks until the – well, no – yeah, five or six weeks until the regular the NFL regular season starts. So we'll have a lot of you know we'll have some preseason to talk about. Not much. We'll, we'll mainly just be talking about the divisions themselves, and that'll be that'll be fun for the next four five weeks there. So again, get your mind right for that, and we will get ours right, and we will get our research done and our thoughts prepared for the episodes to come. Hope you guys are doing the same. So with that being said, hope you guys have a great start to the week. And we'll see you guys midweek for our next college football episode.